Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this, our 100th episode, we look back at five major stories that have crisscrossed our first 100 episodes. Corruption at the United Auto Workers Labor Union, the secretive dark money network of Arabella Advisors, the numerous times environmentalists campaigned to make life more unpleasant, chaos at the top of the Southern Poverty Law Center, and the introduction of legislation to do big labor, just about every favor it ever asked for. In the 1950s, conservative Senator Barry Goldwater led a crusade against Walter Ruther, the Democratic Socialist leader of the United Auto Workers and a major figure on the left wing of the powerful mid-century labor movement. While Bobby Kennedy and his boss, moderate Arkansas Democrat Senator John McClellan, were investigating Teamsters bosses Dave Beck and Jimmy Hoffa, both corrupt figures with ties to the Republican Party, Goldwater tried to catch Ruther in financial misdeeds. He failed. The Social Democrat was clean, or at least clean enough. But throughout these first 100 episodes, we've reported on an ongoing federal investigation into Ruther's successors at the UAW, which has revealed that Ruther's apparent probity did not become a tradition at Solidarity House. Started at Fiat Chrysler Automobiles, the conglomerate created by the merger of federal bailout recipient Chrysler with Italian automotive giant Fiat in 2009. Al Iacobelli, a Fiat Chrysler vice president with responsibilities including labor relations, created a slush fund from a union management training center that he used to bribe UAW brass in a scheme federal prosecutors alleged was, quote, an effort to buy labor peace. Among those he paid off was General Hollyfield, the late ex-UAW officer responsible for negotiating with Fiat Chrysler, whose wife had to plead guilty to tax offenses related to her husband's scheme. As we have chronicled, federal prosecutors have demonstrated that Hollyfield was not alone. Norwood Jewell, an ex-UAW vice president, pleaded guilty to violating federal labor laws. Other UAW officials pleaded guilty to spending money funneled through the training center on personal luxuries. But the feds weren't done. In recent months, the corruption scandal has metastasized beyond the Fiat Chrysler training center case, with an ex-UAW vice president in the union's General Motors division and a former aide pleading guilty to taking six-figure kickbacks from a contractor who made union-branded watches. A third UAW official also involved in the scheme also pleaded guilty. All told, 13 union and management officials have been charged in the various UAW-related scheme. Federal investigators also raided the homes of former UAW President Dennis Williams and then-UAW President Gary Jones. While neither have yet been indicted, Jones resigned his union office rather than face removal. U.S. Attorney Matthew Schneider, chief federal prosecutor in Detroit, where UAW is headquartered, recently floated the possibility that the UAW may require federal oversight in the future as a result of the scandal. While he noted that speculating about further federal intervention would be a little premature, Schneider said oversight shouldn't be taken off the table. Schneider also suggested that the federal criminal investigation, already four years old, might only be halfway completed. So expect this story to pop up into our next 100 episodes as well. We've tracked the most important influencer you probably hadn't heard of, Arabella Advisors, a philanthropic consultancy that sits at the center of a half-billion-dollar-plus left-wing dark money advocacy network with close ties to the Democracy Alliance, the secretive network of left-wing institutional and individual donors that reportedly includes organizations like the National Education Association labor unions, prominent finance billionaire George Soros and his family, and former congressional candidate and left-wing heir Scott Wallace, among others. Parent organization Capital Research Center released a report, Big Money and Dark Shadows, outlining the structure and extent of the Arabella Advisors Network. Notable Arabella-associated groups include Demand Justice, a left-wing judicial policy outfit calling for expanding the number of Supreme Court justices to advantage liberals, appointing radical left legal scholars to America's courts, among them controversial Democratic impeachment hearing witness Pamela Carlin, and militantly opposing Republican nominees to judicial seats. 
Media Democracy Fund, a group campaigning for so-called net neutrality regulations on internet service providers, and Protect Our Care, a group that campaigned to preserve the Obamacare healthcare programs. Arabella manages for funds of anonymized liberal money. New Venture Fund, which sponsors charitable eligible projects. 1630 Fund, which sponsors more political and lobbying activities under the social welfare section of the tax code that liberals decry when it's used by conservatives. The Hopewell Fund, which sponsors liberal groups including Equity Forward and NFL Players Coalition. And Windward Fund, which principally sponsors environmentalist projects. Capital Research Center continues to connect the dots on Arabella Advisors, with our president, Scott Walter, writing a letter published in the Washington Post demonstrating the financial connections between 1630 Fund and New Venture Fund, and how they create a larger network of dark money on the political left. With the Arabella Network growing its revenues and expenditures from 2017 through 2018, expect the network and its front groups to be a defining story of the next 100 episodes as well. Cultural commentator Sonny Bunch kicked off 2019 proposing that environmentalists make good movie villains because they want to make your real life worse. From the Green New Deal, a radical socialist proposal to ban cars, air travels, and countless other staples of modern life, to the extremist group's Extinction Rebellion, which disrupts public transport services in Great Britain, we have seen countless cases of Bunch's Law demonstrated by the Green Left this year. In the legislative corner, we have the Green New Deal, called by a prominent opponent a radical top-down socialist makeover of the entire U.S. economy, and by a supporter, leftist activist Psychic Chakrabarty, a how-do-you-change-the-entire-economy plan. Among the ways the deal would make your life worse? According to the almost immediately memory-hold FAQ document released alongside the legislation by the Office of Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrat of New York, the legislation would de facto ban animal agriculture, which it infamously described as farting cows, enact an effective prohibition on air travel, and provide economic security for those unwilling to work. And that barely scratches the surface. We did a deep dive into the FAQ document, a series of epic Kinsley gaffes in which environmentalists admitted they want to do a bunch of unpopular things, in episode 60 of this podcast. And as we pick through the fallout of the Green New Deal's introduction, amid ridicule and ham-handed amateurishness, in episode 61, we chuckled that the proposal called for a national expansion of high-speed rail just as the right-wing hotbed of, uh, California called off its state-level high-speed rail boondoggle. Oops. But the Green New Dealers weren't the only environmentalists promising to make life worse. Meet Extinction Rebellion, which held a number of demonstrations in major cities across the world demanding the Green New Deal and more. To show how important the threat of climate change is, Extinction Rebellion in London shut down public transportation in a poor neighborhood. That earned the group criticism from left-wing British politicians, most prominently London Mayor Sadiq Khan. The group also planned to fly drones near London's Heathrow Airport, one of the busiest air travel hubs in the world. Officials warned that such a demonstration risked the lives of passengers and airline employees. And just last week, Extinction Rebellion saw its co-founder, Roger Hallam, facing condemnation from the German foreign minister, a social democrat, Heiko Maas, for referring to the Holocaust as, quote, just another, expletive deleted, in human history. The Southern Poverty Law Center, the extremely well-funded watchdog of right-wing extremism that too frequently abuses its perch to smear conventional non-extremist right-of-center advocacy groups as indistinguishable from the Ku Klux Klan, fell into an omnishambles, losing its president, Richard Cohen, its legal director, Rhonda Brownstein, and its co-founder, Morris Dees, amid controversy over the group's workplace environment. Dees, who made a career out of warning of the threat of racist extremism that saw him named to the Direct Marketing Association Hall of Fame in 1998, had faced accusations of personal racist conduct that were raised by a 1994 investigation in the Montgomery Advertiser. In 2019, Dees was let go by SPLC, 
amid allegations that he had mistreated employees, allegedly on the basis of race and sex. Following Dees out the door was SPLC President Richard Cohen, who resigned amid rumors of widespread employee discontent in what the Los Angeles Times characterized as, quote, complaints of workplace mistreatment of women and people of color. SPLC's legal director, Rhonda Brownstein, also left the organization shortly thereafter. This should have encouraged SPLC to reconsider its long-standing practice of conflating mainstream social conservative groups, most notably the Alliance Defending Freedom, a successful social conservative public interest law center, with KKK-style violent extremists. No obvious changes occurred. Instead, SPLC brought in a former Obama White House aide, Tina Chen, to review the organization's practices, and an auspicious development for those who hoped the omnishambles would chasten the so-called poverty palace. And in our final item, congressional Democrats have sought to reward big labor, one of their biggest institutional supporters, and a major institutional support for the broader left progressive infrastructure, with more coerced dues payers. The Protecting the Right to Organize Act, currently before the House of Representatives and holding the support of party leadership, would provide labor unions with just about every policy goal they have ever sought, from repealing right-to-work protections to handing over personal employee contact information to union organizers. If you remember the card check bill of the late 2000s that died in Congress during the Obama administration, you might be wondering how the PRO Act could possibly be worse. Well, it is. The Act is Big Labor's plan to bring the American economy back to the heady days of 1945-46, when the unions could just about shut down the American economy by striking. Back then, it got to the point that no less a friend of labor than President Harry Truman had gave a national speech demanding that railroad strikers go back to work or he would draft them into the armed forces. To get an idea of how demanding labor unions were in that time, consider Ruther's UAW, which struck for 113 days, demanding a 30% pay hike and that General Motors not raise the prices of its cars, which would give the union direct control over non-employment-related business decisions. GM stood firm, keeping control of its business, while conceding a smaller worker raise. PRO Act would strengthen union power by repealing right-to-work laws, easing organizing by expanding card check, giving union organizers private contact information, and holding branding companies liable for independent franchise store owners' labor practices. It would remove restrictions on union strikes, most notably the ban on secondary strikes targeting businesses not directly involved in labor disputes. That a big payoff to big labor would top the House Democratic agenda should not be surprising. In addition to being one of the foundational pillars of institutional left progressivism, one estimate of labor's contributions tops $1.6 billion over the past decade, labor unions are strong political supporters of House Democrats. All Democrats on the Education and Labor Committee, bar two, one of whom is a non-voting delegate from the Mariana Islands, have taken SCIU campaign contributions. One can hope that we won't have to return to the PRO Act or similar union favor le- legislation in our next 100 episodes. But the reality of Washington is that progressives are always looking to reward one of their most reliable supporting factions. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you for our next 100 episodes starting next week.